This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. And so tonight, we're going to continue along some of those lines, but we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about what I'm calling seven Hebrew words of praise. Did you know that your Bible is full of expressions of praise? In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures, there's over 50 different words for praise. How cool is that? Unfortunately, in our English language, we have only one, and it's the word praise. And did you know that the translators in their translation of the scriptures use that singular word praise for all 50 of those different expressions of praise because they don't have enough words. So that tells me we need to come up with some new words. All right. So you wordsmiths out there. All right. Keep creating new words, submit them to Wikipedia and all the, the fun new urban dictionaries that are out there. But no, we need more expressions or more words for praise because the Bible is chock full. I would say rich in its understanding and in its projection of what praise is before God. And so we've been focusing a lot on worship, and tonight we're going to shift gears and focus on praise and what I'm calling seven Hebrew words of praise. I want to talk about just seven of these 50 words, otherwise we'd be here all night. And as much as you guys love me and love listening to me, I don't think that's probably the best usage of your time. So we're going to do our best to hone in on seven. Say it with me, seven Seven key words. Before we do, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 in the NLT says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your whole bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. Here's my favorite part. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way. This is the way that God wants us to worship him. And you know what it is? It's everything. Our whole bodies, our whole life before God is our worship. And he says, let your, your, your life be like a living sacrifice, right? It's an ongoing, daily surrendered, yielded life before God that brings him honor and glory and worship. He says, let them be living and holy, meaning set apart, consecrated, special, devoted to God. This is the kind of worship that he will find acceptable. This is the way to worship the Lord. So it's about becoming this living sacrifice. And so in just a moment, we're going to talk about seven ways that we become a living sacrifice of worship before God. And I love worship because I believe that it is the priority of the people of God to worship Jesus well in these days right now. Come on. There is a battle going on for our worship. The devil has come with his counterfeit and with his, his substitute and his cheap idea of what he wants worship to look like. And we see that embodied in the world. But then the Lord has for us his expression of worship that is holy unto him, that is set apart and beautiful and consecrated. And I would also say powerful. And so tonight we're going to look at these seven. I believe that we are revealed as the people of God in the glory of the one we worship. The Bible says that the earth is groaning, that all creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. They're waiting. They're waiting to experience what you and I have access to. 
They're waiting for an encounter. Come on, how many know that we owe the world an encounter with Jesus? If there's nothing else we do, let it be said that we gave people an encounter with God. All right? Above the programs, above the food distribution, above the helping, above all the things that we do that are great, and we do them in Jesus' name. But above all those things, let it be said that we give people an encounter with God. That we wouldn't just be, we worship him privately. And that's great, and we need to. But it would be that the outflow, the outworking of our worship, that it would touch people. And that they would encounter God in it. Amen? So I'm not just talking about what we do when we come in here tonight. I'm not just talking about the four songs or the three songs or the seven songs that we sing before the message. I'm talking about our ongoing daily lifestyle of worship and praise. You see, when Moses encountered the burning bush, he noticed that it was on fire and that it was burning and that the branches were not being consumed. The branches weren't dying out or fizzling away. They were living and they were alive. And that's essentially what our life looks like as believers. On fire, burning, not consumed, but alive. A holy and living sacrifice unto God. And that's what our worship should look like to our families and our cities and our churches and ultimately our world. Amen? Because we owe the world an encounter with this King Jesus that we love and celebrate and sing so much about. Amen? So let's look at what I'm going to call seven words or expressions of praise that are really tools to help you keep that fire burning in your life. That's what we're after tonight. And I believe that praise is the key. Let's do our first one here tonight. Are you with me? All right. Yada or yada is the Hebrew word meaning to cast or to throw using one's hands to praise with hands raised. The word represents the act of shooting arrows or throwing stones. Now, how many of you remember when David threw a stone and it hit Goliath in the head? And he fell. David was accustomed to praising God with his hands. He was so accustomed to it and so dialed into it that when he cast or threw that stone, he came out on the battlefield and what was happening? Goliath was trashing David's God. And David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that challenges the armies of the Lord? Right? And he cast his praise into the face of his enemy. He lifted up his hands, and we know with his sling, cast. And that's the same root word that we see for the word praise here, yada, that was used by Leah when she gave birth to Judah, or Judah. And it means to cast or to throw one's hands out. So in the Bible, we see this expressed by this. We yada the Lord with our hands. Now, why is this important? Because, as we already saw in Romans 12, all of our life is to be, all of our bodies are to be presented to him as holy and living, right? As a sacrifice of praise or of worship. So when we praise God with our hands, we're essentially allowing what's in our hearts to emanate out through the members of our body, okay? And we do this actually at sporting events, don't we? Come on. Some of you guys go to football games and soccer games and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're at a concert, right? You go to a U2 concert and you're up there like, yeah, where the streets have no name and you're just singing, right? You're just going for it. Why is that natural to do this? I believe it's because God created us for worship and he created us to yadah him, to lift our hands in praise and to allow what's in our hearts to shoot forth. It's also a biblical principle. We know that what's in the heart, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man, but what comes out of him that defiles him, right? It's an actual biblical principle that what happens here should go out. We see that when Jesus sent out the disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then Zerth. It's an outworking principle. 
We know it in our neurons, right? Our brain sends out signals to the rest of our body. Our hearts pump out blood to all the members of our body. God created us so that what's at the center of who we are, it should flow outward. It should come forth. That's why when we go, we step into an environment or an atmosphere where it's just charged with praise. And it doesn't matter if it's a secular or religious environment. I mean, I've been to concerts where I'm like, man, people are worshiping like crazy right now. You should see how amazing the world worships. We go to football games, we go to soccer games, we go to concerts, and people are just worshiping like, yeah. And they don't even know it because they've been created. They've been hardwired by God for Yadah. The earliest representation of this I already mentioned we see in Leah naming her son Judah, which means praise. It's interesting to me that Jesus was born of this lineage, of the line of Judah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The word Judah is is this word, Yadah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Yadah. This is Jesus' inheritance for all of us, to step into greater praise by not just lifting our hands, but by offering our whole lives. So Yadah is the first word we see. This time I will praise, or Yadah, the Lord. Next one, Psalm 61.8. So I will ever sing praises, or Yadah, to your name, as I perform my vows day after day. The psalmist says, I perform my praise with the lifting of my hands. I give you my worship. We see this in First and Second Chronicles. We also see it all throughout the scriptures and all throughout the Psalms. And it's a beautiful expression of praise. It's not a charismatic thing. It's a biblical thing. Come on, somebody. Some of you guys are like, what? I don't know why people are raising their hands tonight. Because we want to be biblical Christians who take our Bible seriously. Amen? We want what happens in here to come forth out to here. Because number one, Jesus is worthy. The lamb is worthy of our worship. And God hardwired us to do it. Let's keep moving. Number two tonight. Our next Hebrew word for praise is Baruch. Say it with me. Baruch. And this means to bless or to bow down, to kneel before, or to salute. This is a beautiful expression of praise. It's essentially getting your head below your heart. Can I show you how to get your head above your heart? You Baruch him. You bow before him. We live in a hyper-intellectual culture. We believe that because we live in the West and we're highly educated and we have multiple degrees and master's degrees and doctorates that we have somehow arrived at an estate of enlightenment and that we don't need to Baruch the Lord. We think that we are gods. And Baruch is an expression of praise that reminds us that we are not gods. We are but men. We are but women. We are but little, finite creatures made in the image of an infinite, immaculate, amazing God, the God who created the cosmos, by which we're still just scratching the surface of. We just finally invented telescopes to give us a a glimpse into the way God made the world and the ever-expanding universe, and we're just scratching the surface of it. But because we live in the West where we just value education, and education's a great thing, don't, don't get me wrong, education's a, a marvelous thing. But let it never be said that we get so educated to the point that we can't bow down and bless the Lord in worship. That we can't acknowledge that God is God and that we are not. And when we Baruch him, we come into his presence, both individually and corporately. And some of you may have been to churches where you see people bowing down in worship. This is what's happening. We're literally baruching the Lord in praise. We're, we're blessing him. We're bowing down. We're getting our head and our intellect and our ideas about our little world and our life and all the things that we try so hard to hold on to and manage and control. 
and we lay them down at his feet and we get our head below our heart. We let our heart where worship emanates and flows forth rise above to bless our God and worship. We Baruch the Lord. And I love this word and we see it all throughout the scriptures in first Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10 through 11 and verse 20. We see King David exemplify this form of praise when he bowed and submitted himself before God in front of the whole assembly, like I just did tonight. And here's what it says. Therefore, David praised, or he baruch the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, next slide, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens, all that's in the cosmos, and all that's in our little earth is yours. Next slide. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above. Then David said to the assembly, praise and Baruch the Lord your God. And all the assembly bowed down before the Lord and blessed him, the God of their fathers, and they bowed their heads and they paid homage to the Lord and to the king. Now, in our Western setting, we would bow our heads when we pray, right? We'd put our heads down. But in this setting, you should have seen the assembly. Thousands of people on their faces before God, acknowledging his power, his glory, his worth, his majesty. That's what we're being invited to do here. The Bible also says in James chapter four, verse six, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you bow before the Lord, you're, you're putting yourself in a posture of humility. All right, so maybe it's not just you physically getting down on your face every day, but it's you walking through your life with a posture of Baruch, of submission and humility, where you're yielded and you're bowing and you're saying, Lord, not my will be done, but yours be done. Not me first, but me second. Come on, Jesus, be the center of it all. Be number one. Be on the throne of my heart and life, and I will yield and humble myself before you. I don't know about you guys, but I could use all the grace that I could get. Anybody else? Come on, the last thing I want is the God of the universe actively resisting me. But that's what James says. He says, God gives grace to the humble. And we all love that part. We're like, yeah. And we sing a thousand songs about his grace and 10,000 reasons and all these things, right? But then we forget the last part. But he resists the proud. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want God resisting me. And yet some of us are walking through life and we're not going to bow. We are not going to bow. We're too good for that. We're too educated and too cool and right? Fill in the blank. I don't know about you guys, but I want to pose the Lord. I want to bow before him. I want to present my life in humility, yielded, submitted, bowing before him to bless his name. So this is one way we can do that. So number one, we adah him. Number two, we baruch him. And number three, our next Hebrew word expression for praise, we zamar him. Zamar means to sing and to praise with the accompaniment of a musical instrument, usually stringed. This is what the Bible says in Psalms 92, verses 1 through 3. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to Zamar, his name. O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. David was a master of this. I am still yet a Padawan learner. He was the, the Jedi master. And I'm still learning how to Zamar the Lord on my instrument. The thing I love about this word is it's reserved for those that play instruments. And it doesn't have to just be guitar. It can be keyboard. 
But the idea behind Zamar is that we're not just playing music, we're ministering to the Lord. We're ministering on our instruments. We're ministering in a way that is specific and precise. Right here we see the 10-stringed lyre, which had to be in a really amazing instrument, and the melody of the harp, okay? So David discovered something about what would happen when he played his instrument in a way that zamarred the Lord. He, he realized that, that something would happen in his praise that didn't happen in any other way. Where else do we see this occur? When Saul, who was tormented by demons, said, come minister to me. And what did David do? David brought his stool in. He set up like Pastor Jason, strapped on his guitar, and he began to play. And not just play. Anybody can play. But he began to minister. He began to zamar the Lord. The Bible says that those spirits fleed. They left. Which tells me that this kind of praise has power in it. That's why when I play the guitar, I'm not just playing the guitar. I'm trying to minister unto the Lord. I'm trying to break open atmospheres. Come on. We live in a place full of oppression, full of demons, full of spirits that are against you having the life of God. Against you knowing Jesus in the way that we sing about. And so every time I strap on that instrument, I'm not just doing so to, have us, to lead us in a wonderful time of sing-along. No, 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 my friends. I'm doing so to minister unto the Lord and to minister over the atmosphere. When I was a young boy... My parents used to open up our home for missionaries, evangelists, apostles, teachers, and church planters. I probably had six or seven churches planted in my living room, which is pretty cool. And growing up in that way, I came across a lot of people from different nations of the world. We had people from Africa and South America and China and the Middle East. We had people from Canada come. And then we had this missionary from Nashville, Tennessee. Woohoo! And he came in. And the man knew how to zamar the Lord. And he taught me, and he said, Jason, you can play the guitar, and you can play the keyboard, and you can do all these things and make beautiful music. But if you learn how to get into that secret place where you begin to zamar the Lord, where you begin to just really minister to his heart, it'll change everything for you. And I just wept, and I just felt the presence of God. Woo! Feeling it right now. And I can tell you this. There's a difference between good music and anointed music. There's a difference between just good music that's offered in talent and music that's been submitted at the foot of Jesus, that's dug into the secret place, that understands the art of Zamar, that knows how to minister to the heart of God, that knows how to, to press in a little deeper and to go a little further. And I believe that as a church, we need more anointed music. We don't just need more good music. We've got a lot of great music. You can go on Spotify, you can find all kinds of good music. But I'm often, in my time with the Lord, just searching Listening, tuning in to hear, to listen for that thing that's anointed of God, that carries that sound within the sound, that has the heartbeat of God. When you hear it, you know it. It's like, oh, can you feel that? Can you hear that? Can you sense that? Can you see that? Can you taste it? Zamar invites us to worship the Lord in this way. And maybe you're here and you're like, man, that's great for you, Pastor Jason. I don't play any instruments. That's okay. You can still press into this. You can load up your worship music and you can still begin to listen and to sing and to engage with it in a way that still worships the Lord. So we yada the Lord, we baruch him, we zamar him in praise. And then our next Hebrew word for praise is the word shabak. Say it with me, shabak. Shabak means to shout. To shout with loud adoration, which I'm actually pretty good at. To make an exuberant and joyful noise. 
as praise unto God. Some of you grew up in a religious environment that said, God's not deaf. So keep your voice down, honey. You're in the house of God. God's not deaf. You don't need to shout. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says to shout with loud adoration to make an exuberant and joyful noise. Notice the word noise, (laughs) not melody. Come on, not song, not perfectly on pitch singing. Noise. You know who are great at making great noises? Little children. I got three of them. They're getting bigger now, but when they were little man, they knew how to shabak like nobody. They would just praise the Lord and they'd make joyful noises and sounds and it was loud. But what happens to us? We grow up and we're told to shh, quiet down. Peace, simmer down, center yourself. Don't make, use your inside voices, children. And we lose that sense of childlike wonder, the exuberance that comes from making a joyful noise and shout unto God. I believe that there is power in our Shabbat. Sometimes you and I are going to come up against things in our life that no sermon, no podcast, no seven-step program is going to get you through. But your Shabbat will, your shout will carry forth power when you praise. Now, this may not be the environment for it every single time we gather, but I'll tell you this. When you're alone and you're pressed and your back's up against the wall and you don't know what to do, shout. There's times when I don't know what to do and I just get in my room and I'm like, ah! Ooh, it feels good. Some of you are like, oh my gosh. See, the problem is religion will try to keep your voice down. Shh, shh, shh. No, no, no. Quiet, quiet, no. We're, we're civilized here. We don't do that around here. No, 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 no. God invites us to shout. In fact, God loves it. All of heaven is full of shouts, angels and elders and creatures singing and offering up praise and mighty shouts. We see this all throughout the Bible. Joshua being one of the best examples of this. God told him to go march around the city seven times and then to let out a shout. There's power in it. And I believe as the people of God, God wants you guys to live a life full of power. I don't know about you guys. I'm sick and tired of weak, anemic Christianity. It has it all figured out up here, but then doesn't walk with any power. We go to the gate called beautiful and the world's like, give me something. And we're like, well, here's some silver and gold. Here's our programs. Here's our things. Here's our whatever. But what people really need is power. They need you and I to grab a hold of our Shabbat and learn how to press through, learn how to break through, learn how to come into a place where we can praise him with a loud, exuberant noise. Amen. This is the invitation, guys. This isn't a conviction. This isn't a rebuke. This is me saying, this is God's permission slip for you to try this. And try it. And see what happens. Your neighbors might freak out. That's okay. That's okay. When I was about 10 years old, we had a family of Nigerians come and live with us for three months. Now, when I say a family, I mean the family and their servants. They actually still had indentured servants. So they brought all their indentured servants with them. We had 12 Nigerians living in our house. Guys, our house was three bedrooms. And they taught me that I know very little about the Shabbat. And they would shout and they would praise God. And it was so loud that people would come over and knock on our door and be like, is everything okay? Like, we hear all this shouting and all this noise. Like, are you guys okay? And, and like us, like fun little white people would answer the door and be like, yeah, we're fine. It's just our Nigerian friends, you know? They're just going for it. And people were like, what's going on? I'll never forget, they sent over a lineman who played for the San Diego Chargers. Big old NFL guy. 
he came, he's like, well, so I've been hearing some reports about noise and just want to make sure you guys are all right. They said the biggest guy in the neighborhood they could find. They're so scared. They're like, what's going on? So we don't have a context for this in the West. But in the East, in Nigeria, where you're not sure if a Muslim's going to cut your head off. Come on, I've been there. I've been held at gunpoint. I've been held with people machetes ready to kill me because I confess the name of Jesus. Here we can say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all day long. Without that threat, well, at least not right now. My friends, I'm not here to put any pressure obligation on you. I'm, I'm here to encourage you to open your heart to the reality that there might be more. There might be more that God has for you in your praise and worship than just golf claps and high fives for Jesus. Than just little acts of kindness and small little faint whispers. I'm here to tell you that there's a God and he's a roaring lion. He's not just a, a meek and mild Galilean peasant rocking around like a hippie without any shoes on. Come on. Some of you grew up with that Jesus, 70s Jesus, hair all perfectly feathered, skin glowing, natural tan, not sprayed on, olive skin, beautiful blue eyes. I'm telling you guys, his eyes are like fire. He's wearing a robe dipped in blood. Out of his word comes forth the sword of the spirit, ready to cut down and slaughter his enemies. We have no understanding. We, we've scratched the surface. We've only glimpsed who God is. And God loves it when we grab a hold of our shout because there is victory in our shout. Here's something else that's really cool about it. Psalm 145 verse four says this, one generation shall praise or shabak, shout your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. In your shabak, there's generational impact, meaning that what you shout will be carried forth into the next generation. When I invite my kids to come and shabak the Lord with me, they love it. They're like, yeah, this is when dad gets his shout on and that's when we get to just shout and go crazy. But what I'm really trying to do is I'm really trying to help them see the works of God so that they would be declared in the next generation. Each generation has to decide and determine what they're going to shout about. I don't know about you, but I want to shout about the king. I want to shout about what Jesus has done for me. I want to shout about all the things that he saved me from, including myself. I want to shout about all the ways that he's brought me out and, and brought freedom and hope into my life. I want to shout about the fact that I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. I want to shout about the fact that I'm already a citizen of heaven now, that I get to help bring kingdom of God to earth, that I get to bring heaven down. Come on, these are things that we should shout about. So Shabak, we shout. So we Yadah him, we Baruch him, we Zamar him, and we Shabak him in praise. Let's move on. Our next Hebrew word for praise is halal. Say it with me, halal. halal. This means to shine, to rant, to rave, to become clamorously foolish, to dance, and to boast of God's greatness. It's the word that we get the word hallelujah from. <laughs> this is the root word, halal. And it means all of these things. We see it in Psalm 48.1. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, or halal, in the city of our God, his holy mountain, Psalm 150. Praise, or halal the Lord. Praise, halal God in his sanctuary. Praise, halal him in his mighty heavens. We also see this in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 30. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites, these were the professionals, these were the priests, these were the ministers, to praise, or halal the Lord, with the words of David and of Asaph, the seer. So they sang praises, they halaled God with gladness, and then they baruched him, they bowed down. And worshiped. Psalm 34, 2. This is David. My soul makes its boast. It's halal in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. 
To boast or to rant or to rave or to become clamorously foolish about God is not something we typically think of when we praise. It's usually more domesticated like we've talked about and refined. But halal is the invitation for us to turn our boasting and our raving and our ranting about God into dancing. And how do we do it? Like children. We do it like children. We do it like nobody's watching. You guys ever hear that expression, dance like nobody's watching? How many of you guys actually do that? Some of you are looking terrified right now. Like, I don't know, Pastor Jason, but I'm scared. You're you're taking me to a place I don't have any compass for. That's okay. That's okay. The Holy Spirit is here. I'm a good pastor. I'm a good shepherd. I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be all right. Follow me, little lambs. We're going to get there, okay? It's okay. David halaled the Lord. He boasted in. He raved. He ranted. He got clamorously foolish. So foolish that when he went and got the presence of God and brought it into the city, he stripped down into his linen ephod, his underwear, and he danced before the Lord, and he didn't care who was watching. And as it turns out, everybody was. Everybody was, including his own wife, who turned her nose at him and was like, you made yourself into a fool today before the people, David. You were so undignified. I can't believe you did that. Like, really, David? Why would you do that? I picture McCall like a valley girl. I'm sorry. David, I can't believe you even did that right now. We were like doing so good on our PR campaign. We had so many likes on Facebook and Instagram. We worked so hard with our PR rep to like work on your image and dye your hair and put on the spray tan and to say all the right things and to have the the smart quotes. And then you went and ruined it. You stripped down your ephod, really? And you danced? You halaled him? Did you have to halal Couldn't you have just yadahed him, just lifted your hands before the people? I mean, that's a little more safe, right? Everybody can handle that. (laughs) Did you have to get clamorously foolish and rant and rave and dance like nobody was watching when in fact everybody was? And David said, oh, you think I got undignified? I'm about to get a whole lot more undignified. I wonder if God might be telling the church right now, it's time to stop worrying about your reputation, your PR, your this, your that, your perfect image, your squeaky clean package, right? And to get a little messy, to get a little undignified, to, to just become a little honest and vulnerable and exposed and be willing to praise and rant and rave about this God. Some of us haven't loved God in this way because we don't feel like we've been saved for much. But those of you that know that you're a wretch like me, you know that God has saved you and pulled you out of the pit of your despair and out of your pride and out of your sin. This is just scratching the surface of what God deserves. He deserves our childlike faith. And here's what Jesus said about it. Jesus said in Matthew 18, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest. We think the greatest is like you make a lot of money, you get successful, you get a big education, you do all these things, and you, you, know, you feed the poor, you do all these wonderful things. Jesus has a different definition for what the greatest means. He says, you know, you want to see the greatest in the kingdom of God? Bring me a child and watch the way they praise me. Watch the way they act foolish in my presence. Watch the way that they get a little undignified. That's the way you enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, God doesn't want our civilized and grown-up version of praise, whatever that means. He wants us to come before him like children. And there's a difference between being childish and childlike. Come on, Paul says, put away childish things and thinking. Stuff that's just immature, right? But 
we are still called to be childlike, to come before him with eyes wide open, with wonder in our heart, ready to expect that God's going to do something amazing, ready to see a miracle right before our very eyes. I believe that's the reality of halal. It's us being willing to let go and to every now and then get a little nuts with God. I wonder if you might want to do that with me. So we adah the Lord, we baruch him, we zamar him, we shabak him, we halal him. And the sixth word that we're going to look at is the word tehillah. Say it with me, tehillah. I didn't say tequila, folks. Tequila. Some of you are like, tequila. Let's do it. Tequila. <laughs> Little different. It means this, to sing or to laud. It's perceived to involve music. Usually it's done with music. Especially singing hymns of the spirit or spontaneous songs. Psalm 22.3 says, Yet you are enthroned on the praises or the tequila of Israel. Psalm 33.1 says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise or tehillah befits the upright. You see, the big idea expressed by tehillah is praise through singing. And we did that today already. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who always says, everybody's got a voice that only Jesus loves. See, some of us, were afraid to sing because we're like, ah, oh, I don't sing like Pastor Jason or I don't sing like so-and-so. I'm not, I can't sing on pitch. It doesn't matter. You got a voice that Jesus loves. And on this playing field, we're all equal. We all have voices that are uniquely tuned to the ears of God. God has ears for your praise and for your voice. You may not feel you're like you're a great singer. You may never go on American Idol or audition for the voice, and that's okay. All right? Because you still have a voice that only Jesus loves. And it's funny, but it's actually profound. We all have voices that God has given us uniquely and innately that he loves. So some of you... Like my brother Jonathan loved to sing in the shower, as I found out and discovered this week. I love to sing in the shower. You know why? You know what's great about singing in the shower? The reverb. You're in an echo chamber. So you hear this beautiful verb. It's lush. It's like you had Chris Wickham back there mixing sound for you from like the other side of the bathroom, which is kind of creepy too if you think about it. Having a sound guy on the outside of you while you're taking a shower just mixing. That's where my visual goes. But anyways, I digress. But you know what's great about singing in the shower? You always sound great, right? Because you're just like, oh, 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 and like that would be the moment where Chris, you cue the verb and it, that's all right. We missed the moment. That's all right. So it always sounds great. But do you know what? To God's ears, your voice always sounds great. You don't need any verb. He'll put a little heavenly reverb on it. All right. He'll mix it. He'll EQ it so that it sounds good to him. We see this throughout the scriptures that our voices rise before him like incense. The Bible says incense is like an aroma. How does our voice carry a smell? I don't have time to go into it, but there are studies being done right now about sound. If you want to get into the realm of quantum physics and string theory and all that, there are discoveries being made that sound not only carries pitch and tone and frequency, it actually carries color. And I would say, if we're talking fourth dimensionally here, it carries a smell. See, there's something that God is... He's... He's smelling for. He wants to smell in your worship, not just your routine. He wants to know if you're really worshiping. He's listening. He's smelling for that aroma that comes forth when we worship him with the tequilah. You know what's cool about the tequilah praise? It also says that he inhabits it. God loves this form of praise so much that he inhabits it. Go back to that verse, Psalm 22.3. He is enthroned on the praises of Israel. One translation says, he inhabits the praises of Israel. This form of praise, this tehillah praise, is an actual praise that he 
he fills himself with. He, he enters into it. He embodies it. He becomes enthroned on it. That's why when we come together, guys, to worship God, we're not just paying him lip service. We're not just singing. Like, those are all really great things. But what we want to see God do is we want to see him inhabit our praise. We want to see him fill this atmosphere. We want to see this atmosphere so filled with the presence of God that what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 8, I believe, where Paul says, unbelievers come in and throw themselves on their faces and say, surely God is among you. When God is so inhabited in your praise, people will say, surely God is with you, Chrissy. Surely God is with you, Chris. Like there's something marked. There's something different about what you carry. And you say, yeah, God inhabits my praise. He's enthroned upon my heart because my heart is filled with the tequila of heaven. That's what we're talking about. And additionally, it's this eruption of spontaneity that comes forth that we see attached to this, this word. It's the idea of spontaneous singing, songs that weren't just planned. These would be called hymns of the spirit or spontaneous songs. You've been in a church where the worship leader says, all right, let's just sing out in the spirit. What is he doing or she doing? They're giving you a moment to, to heal of the Lord in praise, to allow the song of the Lord or something that's spontaneous, that's not scripted, not planned, not on the screen, to come forth out of your heart. Why? Because that's the praise that God inhabits. Maybe uh, you're the worship leader like me and you forget the words. <laughs> and you're like, let's just sing unto the Lord, all right? You've probably heard or seen a worship leader do that. But the idea behind it is that we want to give God space. We're not here just to check boxes, people. We're here to give God our worship and our everything because he's so good. Tehila involves the spontaneous songs, the songs of the spirit, the songs that come out from your heart. Ephesians 5 talks about this as well. He says, Paul in chapter 5, verse 18 through 19, be filled with the spirit, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. This is what we're talking about. He's saying the psalms are great. Pray the psalms, speak the psalms, Greet each other with the Psalms, the language of the Psalms, because it's the language of God. Greet each other with hymns. Sometimes we'll sing hymns. And this is the part where most churches check out. Songs from the Spirit. Singing songs from the Spirit means that we have to be willing to wait sometimes. We have to be comfortable with awkward moments and times where maybe there's silence or we're allowing God's space to move or to speak or to sing to operate, and we're going to do everything in order here at Courageous Church so you don't have to freak out. Some of you are like, man, Pastor Jason, you're really taking me to the deep end tonight. It's okay. It's okay. We're not going to get crazy and pass out Kool-Aid and make you sign a waiver and give us your social security number. It's going to be all right, okay? But I want to help you guys, all right, because this isn't a charismatic thing. This is a, once again, biblical thing. We want to be biblical. We want to love the word of God so much that we actually practice it, amen? So Tehila praise is the eruption of spontaneity, of songs that aren't scripted or planned. It's just you making melody in your heart and letting it out through your voice, a voice that only Jesus loves, amen? So number one, we yada him, we baruch him. I don't know why I thought that was so funny, but I'm going to laugh. We zamar him, we shabak him, we halal him, and we tehila him in praise. And the last word we're going to look at is this, toda. Say it with me, toda. We just did this this week. We give thanks. That's what Thanksgiving is. It involves the lifting of the hands, but also includes a confession of thanks or the giving of thanks. Toda is acknowledging that all of life is a gift and that our response is to offer it in gratitude back to the one who gave it to us. It's you giving God back his breath. 
There's a song that we like to sing a lot called, It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath. It's us giving back what God has given us in praise. It's thanking him for this beautiful gift of life. Guys, no matter how hard your life is, you're still alive. No matter how hard or difficult it's been, no matter what you've gone through, and I'm not here to diminish your pain or your suffering in any way, uh-uh, uh-uh, not so fast. Toda elevates your pain. You ever heard that song where there's pain in the offering? Blessed be your name when there's pain in the offering. Sometimes your toda is full of pain, and that's okay. God can handle it. In fact, he says, put it in there. Because when you praise me through your pain, oh, it's so much more costly. When you praise me when there's pain in your life or suffering or when you don't feel like it, you come into church and you're on a Sunday night and you've had a long week and you're like, meh, I'm going to sit down. I'm not going to praise. I'm not going to sing along with Jason because he's stupid. <laughs> and God goes, would you just give me thanks? Would you just take a moment to toda, to lift your hands and to give an offering of thanks? Because see, toda changes your perspective. It changes the way you view the world and the way you view God. It changes the way you view your pain. It changes the way you view your suffering. It changes the way that you view your life. The Bible says to give thanks in all things, not for all things, by the way. We don't give thanks for the fact that we have hard things happen to us. Maybe you were abused as a kid. You don't give thanks for that. But you know what? You can give thanks in it. You can give thanks in any circumstance that you're walking through right now. And you know why? Because God is giving you permission to elevate your heart above what it is you're going through. To get above the fray, the stuff that wants to pull you down, drag you into that pit. Thanksgiving says, no, but my life is an offering unto God. I have so much to be thankful for. And I know things didn't go the way I wanted. I didn't get the outcome I wanted. And the things that were promised to me fell apart. But I'm still breathing. And if I'm still breathing, then I can give God praise. I can offer him toda. I can give him thanks because I'm still alive, because he still put breath in my lungs, because all of life is a gift. That's the invitation to toda. Psalms 100 verse 4 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, with toda." and his courts with Tehillah. Give Yada to him and Baruch his name. You know, I love this scripture. It's got four expressions of the seven in one verse. Psalm 100 verse four. David knew. David had the secret. He knew. It says that Toda should be the first priority of your heart before God. Before you do anything else, you should be able to thank him. That's what I love about Thanksgiving. Because it's just a week that we've just carved out where we said we're going to do this every year, no matter what kind of crazy year you've had like 2020 and you're going to give thanks. How many of you got around with friends and family and maybe some neighbors, maybe not, maybe it was just you? How many of you did this this week where you just stopped and you said, God, thank you. 2020 sucks, but thank you. I felt that way. I'm like, man, everything's going great. And then some of you probably had that happen too. And yet this week, I was able to just get away with God for a few hours and just say, God, thank you. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to toda the Lord for. May we never lose sight of this, guys. It's my heartbeat that we would never lose sight of this. That we would always be a people that offer thanks in all things, no matter what happens. I believe it's the gateway. That's why David says, enter his gates. I think it's the gateway into his presence. I really do. I think giving God thanks can shift your perspective. It can change your day. It can change your attitude. It can change your view on what you're going through. 
and it'll allow you to enter in his presence. Some of you haven't been able to get into his presence. I'm not just talking about his omnipresence. I'm talking about his manifest presence, all right, the concentrated presence of God, because you haven't been thanking him. You've been a little stingy with your thanks. And tonight, as your teacher, I want to give you that permission slip to thank him, to do this, to have a heart that's thankful before him. Here's what I've discovered about praise. Fire always falls on sacrifice. I'll say that again. Fire always falls on sacrifice. Some of you are like, yeah, but I don't really feel like praising God today. In fact, I kind of feel a little burnout. Maybe I'm frustrated. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm distracted. Maybe I'm discouraged. Maybe you feel a little dry in your heart, in your relationship with God. Thank him. Praise him. Toda him. And watch how fire will consume that offering. Meaning God will reignite your passion. God will reignite your dreams. God will reignite your heart. Get it to start bumping again. God will start to breathe the fresh wind of his spirit upon your life. It's not an easy journey being a Christ follower. Someone told you it was. They lied to you. It's hard. We all have good days and we have bad days, amen? And there are days where I don't feel like praising him. I'm like, "Uh, I'm not going to praise you today. I'm grumpy. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Sometimes all three in one day. But then I come to the altar and I lay my life down and I baruch him and I get on my face and I say, God, thank you. And I begin to just offer toda and yada. And sometimes I pull out my instrument and I zamar him and then I tehillah him with spontaneous songs and then I halal and dance around and I begin to sense his presence again. I begin to sense that fire and I begin to feel the way in which he consumes my offering and my worship. And I'll tell you this, it's beautiful, guys. It's beautiful. Finally, I want to say to us as we close that these seven expressions of praise are all intended for every believer, intended for every person as an act of celebration before God. And I define celebration as this, the intentional act of recognizing that all of life is a gift from God, so you might as well enjoy it. Ultimately, praise is our joyful response to who God is, and joy is always a choice. Joy is always a choice. We ultimately know that Jesus gave everything for us on that cross, did he not? He held nothing back. The least that we can do in our praise and worship response to him is to hold nothing back. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.